Hi again, Gene Baxter here for Podcast Radio. One of the many benefits of the explosion of podcasting over the past couple of years is that you'd be hard-pressed to think of a subject you're interested in where you couldn't find an expert making a podcast on that topic. You get the benefit of their years of experience and expertise just by putting on your headphones. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Andy Stevens and his Build It podcast. You won't find someone more knowledgeable about construction here in the UK. He is a broadcaster, now a podcaster, a speaker, an author, an ambassador, and an award-winning builder himself. Andy is also a fierce advocate for mental health in construction, and you'll find out why in this talk. Plus, if you've got a project in mind, when's the right time to ring the architect? And why maybe your kids should put down the iPad and pick up a hammer. From the Build It podcast, let's meet Andy Stevens. Hello, Andy. Hi, how are you? No, I'm doing great. Thank you. I actually was really looking forward to chatting with you because, and I'm going to, I'm going to pay you a tremendous compliment right off the top here, Andy. I've interviewed uh, thousands of people throughout my career and I, I don't get nervous anymore, but I do get some anxiety because you never know how it's going to go with a new person when you're in the situation like this. But after listening to your podcast, I feel like I've been around the pub with you and just been sitting in a booth, just having a conversation. It is so relaxing and so comfortable and I'm sure you know this, you know that you're a very effective speaker, but it's so rare, even in the podcasting world, the intimate world of podcasting, it's still so rare to feel that kind of a connection with a person you don't know. You're doing an outstanding job on Build It is what I'm trying to say. I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean it sincerely. And clearly you're talking about a subject that you are so passionate about. And I want to hit on a lot of the things that you've been talking about on the first three episodes of your podcast as we record this. But if you wouldn't mind, take me back to the beginning. Were you a, a, a child who was interested in building things or fixing things, always playing with toys, good with your hands? Tell me about young Andy. Yeah, I was started, I started work at 12. Um, I was a farmer's laborer for, well, all of the summer holidays, evenings, weekends. And then at the age of 15, became a carpenter's laborer, I suppose. Um, he built tree houses, all sorts of different outbuildings for kids camps. And then at the age of 17, 18, I became a greenkeeper on a golf course, uh, which I learned a lot from, and then sort of got properly into the, the building game. I ended up working overseas. I worked in Sydney, um, which is proper labouring, unlike the stuff we get here. <laughs> and yeah, I, I came back, worked back here for a bit, then had a little break, realised that labouring wasn't going to get me enough for a mortgage. So I sort of left, funnily enough, went into media sales, which was a very short well it was a few years in it but I, I worked up quite quick I worked at ITV and Yahoo and my last job bizarrely was um, head of online at the mirror then I sort of realized that that wasn't for me so I came out set up the development company we then had the 0708 crash and then set the building company up so I then decided having got COVID funnily enough in March last year a couple of days in hospital realized I'm going to be spending a few weeks getting my energy back and then decided that that wasn't for me. So the consultancy, which I'm concentrating on, which is helping people get off the ground with, you know, the bigger projects. The last few years, obviously, I did a bit at Fix Radio for a couple of years, speak at all the exhibitions as their expert builders. So Ideal Home, Home Building Renovating, Grand Designs, write for a lot of the magazines, do lots of filming, got a live show each week, which gets up to three quarters of a million viewers. The podcast I've been wanting to do for about the last three and a half years, and I was going to do it with someone else, and a combination of him being busy, me being busy, and then with lockdown, I just thought, right, bite the bullet, get the equipment, and get on with it, because weird thing, and and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
I did research all around the world and certainly North America, Europe, Australasia, there isn't anything, bearing in mind in Britain, we're 10% of GDP, we're not a small industry. There's, there isn't a podcast that looks at construction covering all issues through the eyes of everybody, from a supplier, from an apprentice, from a one-man band decorator, from a big, massive multinational developer, and actually looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly, and actually looking at the reality and the truth, not hiding behind, you know, big publishers' walls and stuff. So there just seemed a big gap for me. Yeah. Isn't that shocking that there would be an opening like that in, as you mentioned, a, an industry that employs thousands and thousands of people in our country? Well, we have uh, 1.4 million tradespeople. Then if you add in you know, your architects, your site offices, management, engineers, building inspectors, or, you know, you add in all of this as well. Um, I think it's near 3 million, somebody was saying. Oh. And obviously the industry is worth billions. And I've worked with companies in the States. I've worked with government in Canada. Yeah, I just hope, hopefully people like what they hear and, um, you know, start listening to it. I mean, it certainly seems to be doing quite well at the moment as but you know i don't know what quite well is in terms of numbers so um you'll obviously better tell me more i think you're going to be very very successful with it and that thumbnail you painted of your career and your life up to this point shows that you had some hard knocks along the way you've learned it every step of the way and all of the various industries that you've been involved in seem like they've all converged at the right time for you to be doing exactly what you need to be doing so I imagine you're very satisfied with the work you're doing now, Andy. Well, Jean, I've got to say, I want a friend of mine. I'm starting a new series recording with her on Sunday. And she said, And do you realize how well you're doing? You've got the podcast, you've got your live show, you've got all the exhibitions, the articles, you're teaming up with all these big brands. Everything is going into what I'm doing now because I believe it's going to work. And I want to go back to one of the two things I hear you talk the most about on your podcast. We'll get into apprenticeship because I have very strong feelings on that subject myself. You allude to the mental health problems, but you haven't gone into in depth in any of the episodes that you presented so far. That number you gave us was staggering of losing two people a day before COVID. What is it about the construction industry that specifically is difficult for tradespeople to handle beyond the same stresses that everybody has, no matter their line of work? Yeah, well, first of all, one is re- one podcast is recorded with the CEO of the construction industry charity, the Lighthouse Club. Um, and that I'm just waiting for the right time for that to go out. But it's a good question that, you know, you could talk about for hours. You've got two types of trades. You've got residential, which is coming into your house, building an extension or, or you know, putting in new bathroom kitchens. And then you've obviously got your site workers, which can have thousands and thousands of people on big sites building new houses. The residential ones is very tough because as a one man band or as a small firm, you do everything. So your typical day means you're up at six, out the door, picking up the, the guys or your materials or tools, going to work, finishing at four, speaking to the customer, looking at jobs, coming back, contracts, pricing, it's midnight, you've forgotten to eat, you go to bed and then repeat. And it's very hard to have a relationship with with that sort of level of work needed. You've also got a big problem at the moment, which has been going on for years and it's getting worse, is the van and tool theft. They're going like you wouldn't believe. Sadly, the police haven't got the numbers to follow these up. Um, I got done September before last. I think another thing is as well is One big thing in apprenticeships, we're not taught how to run a business, how to pay tax, how to budget, how to form contracts, how to work out when you want paying, how to sort out your VAT, your corporation tax, your income tax. And because of that, you you suddenly go self-employed. And, you know, I'll be honest, I screwed up big time. 
that there isn't that help then you've got your site workers who can be away all week from obviously Sunday night to, to Friday night and they don't see their family and that's tough and the other thing is a lot of tradespeople again probably through lack of of knowledge they live from one week to the next so we all get paid Fridays generally I pay my lads every Friday by Monday half of them want to borrow some money for the week it's not good with money and you're up against it. It's, it's pretty tough out there and it takes a long time to get established, but more importantly, get a good team. There's no good trades out there. And this is a big problem. We've got nobody coming in. Everyone's gone back to the EU. All the good guys are booked up for years and I've got a good team. And, you know, we haven't got youngsters or people swapping professions to come in and, and bump it up. So the existing good ones are going to be on a fortune in a couple of years. And we, you know, plumbers are going to be on four figures a day. I'll be on a grand call out. This is the voice of the award-winning builder and broadcaster, now podcaster, Andy Stevens. His podcast is called Build It. And what you just said right there was really, really important. I see references to the ways Brexit has impacted the country negatively so far, but you're seeing that day-to-day, week-in and week-out, where you just can't find the people because the people you used to hire are now gone. They can't live in the UK anymore? London is very, very reliance or had been on EU workers. I think it was something like 28% of all workers, all construction workers in London. Bearing in mind, a lot of those were site work were EU workers. Sure. A lot had been going back, but now have gone back because uh, rumour has it that, you know, the paperwork is just out of this world in terms of so hard for them to fill in and, and get to stay. So their economies are picking up. They've got the skills. So they've gone home and, um, you know, they've done ever so well. Um, there was a magic number about 10 years ago that Anyone from sort of Poland, Latvia, Lithuania could save up 50 grand here. When they got home, that would buy them a plot of land, build them a nice house and give them a little bit of money to live off. Wow. And a lot of them are doing that. I think the other thing is we're not licensed in any way, shape or form. Electricians and plumbers, yes, as in gas safe plumbers. Um, but any other trade, your neighbour could suddenly wake up tomorrow and say they're a plasterer. So you get a lot of rough trades people coming in because there can be good money to be made. Um, so it's not like it's another issue. It sounds like there are a number of issues on which you feel the government should be doing more for the trades than they are. Look, this is not something I've ever hidden. Um, Charlie Mullins from Pimlico Plumbers, Nick Knowles from DOI SOS, everyone else I've interviewed on this. There's one thing, you know, sadly in common over the years with different governments, they're either not interested or if they are interested, they're not on the same level. And there is a class system in Britain. I don't care what people say. Uh, I've been looked down people's noses at me several times over the years going into big houses because I'm dressed in my work gear. Um, listen, we all breathe, sleep, eat, drink the same. You know, we're human beings. We just, you know, I, I'm skilled with my hands. You know, they may be skilled with, with their brains, with figures or finance, whatever they do for a living. But, you know, the, the massive problem we've got is government need to have people on the ground involved. They've not been on a site. They've not dug footings in the pouring rain. They've not had a shortage of bricks and had to deal with all these issues of mental health and lads not turning up and, you know, diversity and racism and all this going on that because they're not in our world. If you had, and I've said this for years, if you've had a core group, a couple of tradespeople, a couple of people that run their own business, maybe an architect, an engineer, site manager from the big, a good cross section of people. And with that, I mean men and women. And with that, I mean young and old, you'd have a good forming of a, a, a group or panel, whatever you want to call it, that could advise to government. Because at the moment, 
they're just not interested. And if they do show interest, and Cameron was the last one to show sort of an interest, they're just not on the same page. And it's you can't speak to someone that have you know are living in Kensington in these multi-million pound townhouses that have never done a day's graft in their life because they don't understand. And that's nothing against them. That's their way of life. No, I understand that. That sounds very frustrating. And when you talk about apprenticeship, and I know that this is really one of your twin passions, Andy. You can hire an apprentice for your own company anytime you want, and you can pay them whatever you want. But what it sounds like, what I think I'm hearing you saying is that you think that should somehow be subsidized by the government. They should be assisting you in an apprenticeship program. Do I have that right? Yeah, the whole words apprenticeship, you ask anybody from a you know a big developer that employs thousands of people down to people like me that have eight to 10 guys. It's a mess. Tariff, levy, tax, it, nothing's clear. The clearest thing to do is take somebody on as a subcontractor and have them on your books as a youngster, let's say, learning to be a bricklayer. Now, to me, that's the best way of learning. I, le I didn't go to college, didn't do university, didn't do an apprenticeship. I learned basically laboring for these guys in their 60s. It was some of the best tradespeople I've ever seen. And it's hard. You know, you've got to move X number of bricks and blocks and tons of sand and cement and everything around the back of the house, get it ready, get all the mix ready, clean the mixer out, keep up with them. Basically, you're a dog's body, but you learn. And at the moment, the massive issue is this whole, I suppose the only way of saying it is just uncertainty and confusion over what we should pay. We pay a levy. Now, in the old days, obviously, it was the other way around. You know, I, th I feel we should be subsidized by government for taking people on. And at the moment, if you go through an apprenticeship, Beth, who was on my show on Sunday, she started off on, this was only three years ago, she disqualified £3.10 an hour. I heard that and that was a shocking figure. I know she's young and I know everyone starts at the bottom and needs to learn. But number one, you can earn three times that stacking shelves in Tesco's or flipping burgers in McDonald's. And you don't have to think while you do that. And number two, unless you live at home with your mum and dad, you can't survive. So if anybody in their 20s, 30s, 40s wanting to come across into construction with a family or a mortgage or bills, it's not happening. Well, not only that, the examples you give for most people are not going to turn into a career. If you're at Tesco or McDonald's, that's essentially temporary work. If you're a bricklayer, like your guest was, that's a career that she can have for a lifetime. If she can get her foot in the door and get started and make, as you say, make enough money to make a go of it. Well, that's, the, I mean, she, she was lucky that she didn't need you know, what I call a reasonable salary. So she's got through, Beth, for her age, I tell you now, by the time she's 30, which, you know, is nearly 10 years away, she will be running her own company with staff and she's going to be hugely successful because she's put her head down, got on with it, and she's one hell of a switched on cookie. And as she said, she can see what's at the end of this. You can have a career doing what you want in construction. It's as simple as that. You can build your own firm up into specializing in you know, extensions or new builds. You can move into tuition. You can move into media like I've done. You can do health and safety. You can do anything, training. It's a wonderful industry with so many opportunities. And best thing for me, people keep asking, why do you enjoy it? It's because when I walk into a house that is literally falling to pieces, uh, ceilings have dropped, floors rotten, cubs have fallen off the wall in the kitchen, there's rot everywhere. And when I leave that show home, and I've done that with my own hands and lads and lasses helping, there isn't a better feeling. There's not a better feeling. And there's one thing I would like to add. We need to change perception of this industry. Because in Germany, in France, in Spain, 
tradespeople are regarded on the same level as solicitors, doctors, accountants. We're skilled people, just not with our heads, but with our hands. And you look all over the world, any, any town, any city, you look at the stunning buildings. We built those over the years with our hands. And I think that needs to be recognized. It is one hell of a skill. I agree with you a million percent. And I said at the top of our chat, Andy, that I had strong feelings. And this is the topic where I come in because my best friend in America is a contractor. He can't find people to work for him. Everyone he knows that has children is encouraging them in one direction only. And that's to go to college and to be a lawyer or to be a doctor or to be a scientist or to be something that will impress them. And there's nobody out there saying to their kids, why don't you be an electrician? Why don't you be a plumber? Why don't you be a plasterer? Why don't you be a bricklayer? Because these are all great jobs, as you say, that are in normal conditions, recession-proof, a career you can count on, and are fun. What do you think that is? What, how do you flip that switch and get people to be more open-minded about encouraging young people to go into the trades? It starts in two places. It starts with parents and schools. We've had this debate, a lot of us in the industry, you know, what level of schooling do you need to start this at? And the reality is it's got to be the, the primary schools. Um, it's too late when they're 15, 16. One thing I, I just find staggering is my two kids, when they started school in their first year in reception, all they did was build things. Toilet roll, shoe boxes, bits of guttering, bits of plastic, bits of wood. All they do is build because it is built into us. That's what we want to do. We want to build something. We want to be creative. We want to put things together. We want to play with stuff. By year one, they're on computers and that's gone. Listen, that's that's the educational system, but I also think that you know parents need to kind of get off the high horse and, and look at little Timmy. If he's not a solicitor, he's failed in life. Well, he hasn't because construction, you can do wonderful things. You can have an amazing career. If you're self-employed, you've got a lot more flexibility with family and kids and holidays. And I think schools are the big thing. And also we need to get the message to parents. You know, we construction has got to change as a perception of an industry because at the moment it's just in the mud and it's been like that for decades sadly i agree you are craftspeople and you do beautiful work and i want to go back for a second andy you mentioned those buildings around the world that have stood for hundreds of years i think about this a lot the empire state building was built in a year the eiffel tower was built in two this was a hundred years ago or more I don't feel like we could do that today. How long would it take you and your team, a bigger team than you have currently, but to build the Empire State Building in the 21st century, I feel like that would take 15 years. Well, the problem is there's so much red tape now. I think once you actually get the lads and lasses on site working without any holdups, you could, you could push on quickly. Of course you could. Materials these days are actually Im improved to help us. There's a lot of prefabbed materials coming out now, which speed up the, the build. However, you've got all this red tape, you know, planning and architects and consultants and QSs. And, you know, my, I've got a book which is nearly finished, basically getting you to understand that working with a good local builder from the, your perception of that build. So right at the beginning, when you wake up and say, we need to do an extension all the way through to the finish, the last coat of paint, get a builder in early and it will save you a lot of time, money and stress because architects will do pretty much what the computer tells them to do. There's some brilliant ones out there, but all the exhibitions I've worked at, the main two being home building and renovating and grand designs. When I come off stage, having done my talk, this is the reason I'm doing this book, 40, 50 people deep, husband and wife, 
wife in tears, husband angry with a set of drawings in his hand. We've just done 10 grand. We don't like it. Can't afford it. Layout doesn't work. And you think, get a good builder in. He can say or she can say, do you know what? We've done a few of these. And I always say that asking the right questions to a client, they design their own build because they know how they live with their kids. And I joke, you might want a dungeon to throw the kids in at the end of the day for peace and quiet. <laughs> we can build you one. <laughs> we can build you one, but the neighbor might want open plan family living, which is the popular way and has been for the last you know, 15, 20 years. So everyone's different, but getting a good builder in early that's built a lot, knows the planning constraints, knows the materials, knows what stuff costs, then go to an architect and say, draw this. Because a lot of architects um, that I've dealt with uh, as I say, there are some damn good ones out there, but a lot that I've dealt with will just do kind of what the computer says, what they want to do. And I looked at a flat roof extension and before I got there, I thought it was going to only be, you know, 20, 25 grand. And, and I looked at it and told them it was in the 40s. And they said, why? Because the architect had put this ornate lead design on the flat roof that was 17 grand. And they said, well, we didn't even want that. But he was a young lad starting out on his own and he wanted to have an impressive portfolio, hence he'd done it. It's not what the client asked for. Well, your book is going to be an invaluable resource to a lot of people. When builders build today, like I live in a house in Hampstead, Andy, that's 180 years old. Believe me, I can't afford it. I'm just renting. But I wonder, if, is the building you're working on now going to still be around in 200 years? Oh, that is a good question. That's a really good question. Um, things have improved, obviously, main one being structural and footings. So footings, when you dig out, you know, in the old days, Victorian houses, the footing was one house brick on the soil. And I've, I've knocked enough houses down to see that and they never move because it, it, you know, it stands the test of time. That's how they built it. Now we have deeper footings, we have more concrete, steels have come in in the leaps and bounds. So, you know, the old days, you talk of the seventies, block work walls on the first floor were built off the floorboards. Whereas now you've got to put in steels or flitch beams or concrete or whatever you're putting in. So in that respect, houses will last longer. However, there are other things which I don't think are great. Trust roofs, in my eyes, are a big waste of time. Um, I don't think they're great. Uh, I think the houses these days are so insulated, they sweat. Uh, we've done endless extensions with the big bifolds and the roof lights and glass everywhere. Because you've got insulation, floor, ceiling, and all the walls, the heat can't escape. Of course, you've got trickle vents, and but the ventilation isn't up to scratch to let that room or that area of the house breathe and sweat. So the house does sweat. That moisture can't go anywhere. So you get mold, you get really stuffy air, people breathing difficulties. You know, it's, will they be around in 200 years? Um, if it was down to me, I'd go back to the old school way of building, but just maybe with a few more steels and concrete. But I, I love the old buildings. I mean, you look at the, the Cotswolds, the proper stonework, stonemasons, one of the most skillful trades out there. They've been there hundreds of years and they'll be there in hundreds of years. Simple as that. Well, it's one of the things I love about driving around this country is you see places that are 200, 500, in some cases, a thousand years old. And it is just remarkable. And there must be buildings that you come across that you just can't believe how well constructed they are, considering how long ago they were and the lack of tools that they had back then compared to what you have today. Well, it's you're right. I mean, you, you do look at some of these old cottages, you know, you go into Ireland and Wales and parts of England. The stonework, A, the skill level is out of this world with, as you rightly say, they didn't have the same tools we've got, not by any stretch. Um, but those things have been there hundreds of years out on the moors and out in the plains with all the weather. And 
they're absolutely incredible. The skill set back then was just out of this world. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. In many, many professions, there are particular things that craftspeople can do. And we're not just talking about construction. I'm talking about people who make jewelry. People do lots of creative things where the folks who can do it are dying out and they're not passing those skills on to new people. Are there some things that in the world of construction that are no longer done just because no one knows how to do it anymore? There's because materials are changing. So you look at thatched roofs, obviously still quite a few houses and cottages over up and down the country that have got a thatched roof, but that as a trade is dying out because they're not using the thatching anymore, mainly for insurance reasons. They're using more traditional tiled roof if it's slate or well any and there's so many these days i was going to say sort of a polymer but there's all sorts to use so you've got trades like them which are dying out but it's also we probably will have the time today but when you do go into a classroom what you learn is absolute rubbish don't don't tell me anybody can learn how to spread how to be a plasterer in a classroom because you can't you cannot do it. It's all about hawk and trowel. It's about getting the mixture right. It's all about timings. It's all about preparation. You cannot do that sitting at a desk. And it's, again, people that write these apprenticeships have never held a handsaw or hammer or trowel or tape in their life. And this is another thing we've got to change because kids coming out of these classrooms, turning up with their shiny gear on a Monday morning, bless them, they haven't got a clue. They don't last two minutes. I find it on a slightly more lighter note, absolutely staggering how electricians or sparks, as we call them, are, are paid so much because they can't clear up. I've got a running joke with all my lads at work, all the stuff I do. They have a little pile of cables and they put a socket faceplate on and <laughs> they're paid fortunes. But no, I think, listen, we've got a great industry with some of the most skillful people in the world, but the perception's wrong, the apprenticeships are wrong, and um, we've got to be careful before we're really struggling for people coming through and, you know, we're going to end up having to put our hands in our pockets and pay out an awful lot of money to get tradespeople in. The podcast is called Build It and I guarantee you will enjoy it. Andy is a wonderful host who clearly knows what he's talking about and he has outstanding guests each week. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to chat, Andy. I really, really enjoyed it and uh, continued success to you, my friend. Gene, thank you ever so much. It's um, it's lovely to talk to you and um, hopefully get across where I've come from, what I'm doing. And um, I think, you know, hopefully even if people aren't massively into construction, we do have a bit of a giggle on most of these podcasts, just like we do at work. So, um, you know, hopefully people enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.